All right, well, we finally have come to the last of the teachings, vision number seven, which is where the whole story culminates, and we see that the book of Revelation is all about end-time promise. So we're, we're going to look at why we even named this series End Time Promise, uh, but before we do, I would like to uh, ask you to read Revelation 20, 21, and 22 before we continue with the teaching. So just would you pause the video and read those chapters. All right, now, let's just look at this. All Christians seem to know that this is end time. Jesus called it end time. But what it means is different from what most Gentile Christians think it means. It doesn't mean the end of the world. Uh, it's something different. And the reason we think it means the end of the world is that we've taken the book of Revelation and the promises of the end time out of the context of the Jewish understanding of things in which the whole thing was presented and grew up in the first place. It's, it's like the Gentile world came along and said, we choose not to believe this part and this part and this part and this part. We just believe that part and that part. And so they dropped a lot of things off of the gospel of the kingdom to make the gospel of the kingdom something different from what it was in the original context where Jesus was giving it to his disciples. And I believe that God is saying, the original version is my version. It's what I intended. It's what Jesus gave to his disciples and, and con committed to the word that we have, the Bible. And yet so much of the Bible, so much of what we have in the context of the promises of the end time uh, got shifted and transformed into something different, or with a different meaning. So we want to look at that now and say, yes, Jesus did say, and then the end will come. That's in Matthew 24, 14. But what did he mean by it? So here's the, here's the context now that he meant it was the, the, the end of the world as we know it but it's the beginning of the restoration of all things, which is what Peter preached in the beginning. And so if Peter preached that in Acts 3, verses 19 to 21, he's not going to suddenly change his view and believe something different when he's writing in 2 Peter this passage that so often is read totally out of context, and let's read it right now. Here's Second uh, Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. Uh, get, get your Bibles out and let's read this together. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. All right, now that, I admit, does look like a pretty serious day. It almost looks like the end of the world. Uh, I admit it, but that's not what it means. And if you read on into the very next verses, Peter then says what it means. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth 
where righteousness dwells. For some reason, Christians leave off that part uh, most of the time. Uh, if we, we, we read the other part, I don't know, is it something in us we want to inspire fear? It, it just uh, There's something about bad news that uh, makes us uh, feel like we've got something important to say, and for some reason the good news, the hope, kind of gets left off like a caboose on the end of the train that gets unhooked, and it goes off by itself. But we want to get that caboose back on there and, uh, and hook it up with the train because the caboose is what it's all about. The end is the, is the promise. You know, it's like Jesus said, there's going to be a time of travail, but what's the point of a woman being in travail? It's not to have a stillborn child. It's the whole idea is the, the child is, is what makes the travail worthwhile. So the child is really the promise. Do you see this? The, the child is the promise. It's what's coming up at the end of the book of Revelation that makes all of this other worthwhile. And so let's look and see what, what that's going to be. But let's, let's make sure we get this now. Going back to the Old Testament, and we're going to look at more doom and gloom prophecies. And we'll see that, yeah, even though you read that, it looks like it's going to be the end of the world, but then you read on. No, it's not. Okay, so here's Isaiah 34. And we'll start, we'll be in verse 4 here. And he's saying, All the stars in the sky will be dissolved, the heavens rolled up like a scroll, all the starry host will fall like withered leaves from the vine, like shriveled figs from a fig tree. And you say, well, okay, there it is. End of the world. But you read on, verse 8, For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of retribution, to uphold Zion's cause. So this is something that's happening in order to produce a demonstration of his love for Jewish people, Zion's cause. Jerusalem is going to be fully upheld, restored, and there's just a lot of promises about this in the Old Testament. Um, and then moving on here, let's look at Haggai, another uh, prophecy of doom and gloom. Haggai 2, this is what the Lord Almighty says, In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations. And what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. So here again, the purpose of this shaking, he's really talking about a gigantic worldwide earthquake. And when Jesus comes back to Mount of Olives, what happens? Sets his feet on the Mount of Olives and there's a giant earthquake. Well, I believe that's, that's the earthquake that's going to shake all the nations somehow or other. And, and, and yet it's for the purpose of manifesting his glory in Jerusalem on Mount Zion and the beginning of the reign of the Messiah. So this is the start of the kingdom of God. You see, it's the kingdom of God on earth. He, he, he will reign for a thousand years on earth. And again, Jesus very clearly understood this. 
Um, in other words, Jesus was teaching out of the context of a Jewish worldview, which had been received as a worldview ordained by God. And we don't have the right to say to God, yes, but I, 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 we think this way. We're Gentiles. We're up-to-date people. We're enlightened people. We have this idea of the world now. God is eventually going to say, I have the only worldview that counts. You get this? And so here's, here's what he's saying. Truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you will have followed, you who will have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, brothers, sisters, father, Mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit in eternal life. So once again, we're seeing something. It's a picture a little bit different from what we're used to in the Gentile world, the way we preach the gospel. Separate from Jews, you know, we've got our own little gospel now, but he's putting us together again and we've got to get the whole Thing. We got to get the whole thing back together. I like, kind of like what Asher Intrader said. He said, "You know, you Gentiles have the airplane, but we got the airport, and we need to get the two together." And so that's what's happening. God is doing that right now. We both have to share worldviews with each other. We've got to get the two pieces to come together and have a complete picture. And that's what we're trying to do here in this teaching. So let's just look and see that uh, so much of the, the last vision has to do with this Jewish, or what has been called a Jewish worldview, uh, but what, what is really, uh, this is what the baby looks like. This is what God has in store when it says Jesus is coming back to restore all things. He's, he's going to restore what the Father originally had in mind when he created all of this in the first place. Then, you know, sin came in, deception came in, all of these things came in. Now God is showing us how he's going to restore the original vision of creation, of the universe, of the cosmos. So let's look and see what, what, what are the six parts of this vision. First of all, Satan will be thrown into a, an evil-looking kind of prison called the abyss, where all he'll be able to do is look out the barred window and see what is going to happen to the world when Jesus comes in and begins his 1,000-year reign on earth. And... Uh, the reason for his being put away like this is so that there can be no more satanic deception anywhere on the earth. Satanic deception is being removed, in other words. I don't think we have the slightest idea of the difference that that is going to make the way the nations operate and the way people live on the earth. I mean, I just think, for example... Here, I've, I've just finished reading this book, Hitler's Monsters, uh, which shows all the deception that came into Germany prior to Hitler even showing up. 
and uh, the supernatural thinking that was going on, the demonic thinking that was preparing the German people, and they were lapping it up. And so, you, you know, today they, they're wondering, well, how did we ever get so deceived? And this book, this book is the answer, Hitler's Monsters by Eric Kurlander. But it shows the amount of deception that was in Europe. Uh, this is demonic, satanic deception to get people to think that there's going to be a 1,000-year kingdom, but not with Jesus, with a German named Hitler, Adolf Hitler. And so this is, this is deception, but the people weren't thinking that it was deception at the time. See, the problem is, you don't know you're deceived when you're deceived. You're just getting excited about something. That's all. You don't, you're not evaluating it. Oh, this, this sounds like deception. Jesus said, make sure nobody comes and deceives you. So now the end result is there will be no deception. Uh, but we're not, we're not there yet, but we will be. Because when Jesus comes back, this is the first thing he's going to do to get rid of the deceiver. Second thing, those who have served his kingdom will get resurrection bodies because they've been preparing all along to learn how to wield authority, kingdom authority. And so the resurrection body is being added to our soul, our disembodied soul, the same way Jesus got a resurrection body. He was the first fruits. He was the first one to get this mysterious thing called a resurrection body. Knows, nobody knows even what that is. But they saw him with a resurrection body before he ascended to the Father. So he's the first. Now he's saying, you're going to get resurrection bodies because I'm coming back here to rule on earth and you're going to wield authority with me to, to bring this whole earth back to the place where God wanted it to be in the first place. So there's a thousand year reign where this is happening and at least some of his people are going to be helping him with that. He's going to be, of course, in charge of that whole process. Then thirdly, he calls those people priests of God reigning on earth. I think it's just worth looking at that whole Title, Priests of God Reigning on Earth. That's what we're supposed to be learning now. We're getting ready to wield this authority in the future, but now is training ground. So um, that's the third point here. Fourth point, even eventually, hell, Satan, and death will be entirely disposed of. That's at the end of this uh, 1,000 year reign, um, even the memory of Satan, hell, and death are going to be like disappearing. It's like it never was ever uh, because it's all going to be thrown into the lake of fire, which is an, it's a way of saying it's all going to just disappear. It's going to be burned up. Nothing left of Satan, hell, and death. Um, that's where the end of the end uh, is and what remains is Perfection. Now, it's the perfection of heaven and earth. Uh, remember now, earth, creation, you, the universe, the cosmos, 
is being perfected to be the way it was supposed to be when God originally designed it. So then we get into the fifth part of this vision, the new Jerusalem, which is really uh, uh, an interesting vision. The new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven. It's not heaven, but it's, a, it's an, like an, an embassy city. It's like dwelling between heaven and earth. God comes out of heaven to dwell in the new Jerusalem because it's his plan for God and man to dwell together and be totally in harmony with each other. So the new Jerusalem represents this harmony. It's this ambassadorial place where heaven and earth meet and where things of heaven come to earth, things of earth come to heaven. They meet in this place, the new Jerusalem, and everything's cool. And, uh, you know, he pictures it as a cube city with each side of the cube being 1,400 miles. I think I got that right. 1,400 miles in all directions. So, you know, you, you can't really picture this. Uh, the more you study it, the more you look at it, the more uh, it defies being pictured. So, um, but the, the most important thing to, to see is this is where God and man are permanently going to dwell together. And it's a city, a divine city. And then finally, we end up with, in the middle of that, is the tree of life. So the tree of life connects us right back to the beginning, Genesis 2, verse 9, where the tree of life is pictured. Now the tree of life is pictured. Its leaves are for the healing of nations. You see the stream going in. All, you know, all of the creation is constantly fed by this river of life. And, uh, you know, it, this is way into the future. We, we don't, we can't even begin to understand or even to picture these things. But J John has seen the vision and, and he's wanting us to be built up and encouraged by it and to say, this is, this is the final victory. This is what the baby looks like. This is what we're all going through to achieve. And um, I don't know about you, but you know, this is a different thing than when, what most Christians are promising. You know, these days you hear a lot of sermons about how we're going to be raptured and, um, and, and be with Jesus in heaven. Um, and, you know, that's a great vision, but it isn't the gospel of the kingdom. What I'm sharing with you is the gospel of the kingdom, and it's about the renewal of all things. Well, we've come to the end of our series, and let me just point you in a direction. If, if all of this has been just wildly new to you, and you feel like you need to look into and do further study. Um, let me just remind you of some resources. I've referred to them before. This is uh, Daniel Juster's book, Passover, the key that unlocks the book of Revelation. This will help you to see the revelation in terms of Old Testament prophecy. Then again, Daniel Juster and Asher Intrader, Israel, the Church, and the Last Days. Um, this is a great book for, for putting Israel and the church together and seeing us walking together into this, uh, something that kind of the, the Gentile church has missed uh, throughout, the, throughout the ages. 
Then here's from Iraq to Armageddon by Asher Intrader. And uh, this really is a, gr a great book uh, to, to put it all together. I want to also introduce you to um, A Case for Historic Premillennialism by uh, Craig Blomberg and Sung Wook Chung. These are uh, professors at Denver Theological Seminary. This is more of a book for um, the theological understanding of what I'm teaching. But there's a whole other dimension to this. Um, and, uh, and I want to I want to introduce you, um, if you if you haven't already been introduced to the uh, the videos, uh, transformation videos of George Otis Jr. Now, what the, what's unique about these videos is that they show how God, in transforming uh, whole communities, also has the power to transform the earth. And, and this is a part that nobody anticipated because we haven't preached this. We haven't preached that God is going to restore all things. And so when he does, and he shows a little piece of it, you know, like the Holy Spirit is given as an earnest of what he's guaranteed. So here the Holy Spirit comes, and in Almalanga, Guatemala, here when the, the, the whole community dedicates themselves to Christ, the, the, the surrounding area suddenly becomes vastly fertile and um, is restored, restored to what it sh was meant to be, you know, to, to sustain life. And so um, here's another one where uh, in uh, communities of Nunavut and Nunavut uh, in the, on the Hudson's Bay, when, when whole communities uh, repented of sin, and, uh, and gave their lives to Christ. Um, and pretty soon, one of the things that happens is the whole of the, of the ecology suddenly gets miraculously restored. And uh, again, God is showing us something. Here's another one. Um, here's uh, Let the Sea Resound, which is the story of uh, uh, Fiji, the recent uh, revival in Fiji, the Fiji Islands. And when they, when Many, 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 many people repented of their sin, uh, going clear back into the past. Uh, they got restored to um, divided people groups, got restored to each other. And then um, amazing things happened. One of the things that happened was the earth began to be restored in amazing, miraculous ways. Uh, dead corals came back to life uh, just whole schools of fish that they hadn't seen for years and years, uh, infesting the oceans all around, and so on. And so what, what is God saying? God is saying, look, I've, I've been promising this from the start. You just have chosen not to believe it. And now I want you to believe it. So I'm doing these things as a demonstration for what I can do and what I fully intend to do. So I don't know about you, but I find this really exciting. And I hope you'll go on and uh, read some of this other material. And if you're not a reader, um, you can go to MikeBickle.com, and he's got a whole series of teachings there on end times. Go just look at Mike Bickle's teaching, and uh, that, will, that will help you if you're not a reader, or if you are a reader. That's a really good 
series of teachings. Now, these guys, Asher Intrader and Dan Juster and Mike Bickle, they're not going to treat exa- they're not going to teach exactly the same thing that I teach because there's some things that I felt the Holy Spirit has given me uh, that are unique to myself. The, the vision of the seven visions is one of those things, for example. But um, the basic concepts uh, are the same in, in those teachings. And uh, I'd love to have you uh, evaluate all the different um, uh, teachings that are coming out right now, um, trying to get the Gentile world and the Jewish world together to make the whole picture. End time promise. Okay.